This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. He's trusting us. Opening doors that we could not open. Giving us opportunities we could not create for ourselves. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be a part of a church like that. Shelly and I are so honored to be the pastors of this great church. I tell you that with all sincerity. I told the Lord this morning very early, in the very early hours of the morning. I'm so thankful that God trusted me with this moment. I don't deserve it, you don't deserve it, but he trusted us. And it's so, it's so applicable to the burden of my heart for the next several weeks that we talk about this idea that God is raising us up as a people to make a difference in this world. Amen. And I, I hope that as we go along these next several weeks that we will... Catch a glimpse that God's plan is not to make us great, but make us obedient. Amen. Not to make us great, not to make us known. See, that's, that's, a false, that's a false religion that seeks to make man the center of the attention. We're not trying to build a church in which the notable is me. No, the notable is Jesus. And so, as the Lord has been dealing with me, and and I've invited Tracy and Pastor Dustin to join, and at several of the the sessions going forward, they'll be preaching as well. I hope that God will use these moments to help you see that God wants you to make a difference with your life. You don't have to have the talent somebody else has. You don't have to have the means that somebody else has, or the platform that someone else has. But you have something inside of you that God wants to use for greatness in the kingdom of God. And I want you to discover that. I want you to sense it and see it. And more than anything else for our church, and I say this again with the greatest of sincerity, I don't want us to be afraid. I don't want us to be afraid anymore. I don't want us to be afraid of where we're going. I don't want us to be afraid of where we've been. I don't want us to be afraid of what we don't have. We serve a big God. And we don't have to be afraid. This morning, I get the privilege to kick this series off by talking to you about a woman that a lot of you will not even know is in the Bible. Her name was Abigail. And she was married to a man named Nabal. The Bible said he was a fool. The Bible says about her that she was beautiful and sensible. Sounds a lot like Shelley. She was married to a fool. That sounds a lot like, well, you know who I'm talking about. But she was able to make a difference in a singular moment that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. So I want you to open your Bibles there. And I want you to hold on to that passage because we're going to read through this as we we go. Now, as you're turning your Bible, let me just take a quick second 
to remind you that there will be an important called conference of our church this Wednesday night at 630. Uh, if you consider Lake Erie to be your church, if you intend to be a part of the next 10 to 15 years at Lake Erie, you certainly should be here Wednesday night as we talk about a recommendation from our elders that we are considering with regard uh, to the acquisition of the church on Hubbard Road in Madison. So it, it's been a process that's gone on for a lot of months and we've come to a point now of decision. Uh, the, the elders have made a recommendation and we're going to bring that before the body for a vote. So make sure uh, that you come. Here's what I'm asking you to do in preparation for that. Today's Sunday. That meeting's Wednesday. That's three days. Take the next three days. Pray fast. I'm not going to say don't talk to people, but don't talk to people. Just pray and fast. Pray fast. At the end of the day, we want to do God's will. Not my will, not your will, God's will. Pray fast. And then come ready Wednesday night, 630 to do business. We'll probably be here a couple of hours. And um, we'll do a, a very try to be as very efficient as we can, get to the business at hand, and then receive your expression, and then move forward from there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and what this day involves. I'm grateful to you that your word is alive and powerful. The Bible said sharper than a two-edged sword. So that, that helps me to know, Lord, that there is penetration from your word that gets into me does something inside of me. I pray that happens today. I pray, Lord, that you would take me, whatever I am, and that you will use me to communicate what you are trying to say. I trust you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the world is a very complex place. In fact, Several weeks ago when I sat down and started thinking about it, I started thinking about all the complexity in the world that we live in. You're not going to watch a, a newscast in which you don't hear about the abuse of a child, the abuse of a spouse, sex trafficking, addiction, divorce, crime, war, poverty, cancer, and COVID. The world's become very complex, and it's an endless list. Those are just some of the ones that jumped out at me. In fact, the reality is, is that the world in which you and I live is so complex that it's a bit overwhelming to us. We look at the vastness of the problems in this world, and we wonder, can I make a difference with my life? Does it matter that I live in this time? And, Will it matter that I've existed in this? I realize sometimes as I watch the news and I'm an avid news watcher, I realize that no matter how much I cry and how much I mourn about those in this world, that there are moments that completely run over me and I feel like that there's not very much I can do to make a difference in the world. I just finished reading a fascinating book in which the book talked about the 
massive number of people that are running out of these countries where totalitarian governments are restricting their activity in ways and they are filling up the refugee camps that are run by the UN to the point that they can't even take care of the people. The world's running, looking, finding, trying to find some relief. I remember going to Honduras a number of years ago and, and being led to a very impoverished part of that country and, and we had brought money in order to feed the hungry and so we went and we bought rice and beans and staples and we drove into this neighborhood and they warned us. These people are so hungry and there is so much hunger in this province that you have to be careful. So we had people that were guarding us. But they literally overran us to the point that I thought my life was in jeopardy. The world is very, very complex. And it's very difficult when you live on planet earth in 21 to understand that somehow in God's sovereignty, He placed you and I in this world. You, you could have lived in the 1500s. You could have been born in the second century. In fact, I have a friend that has struggled with her weight her whole life. And she has come to a point where she's sort of, you know, resigned herself to the challenges that she has. And she said to me one day, she said, Bill, you know, I think what I figured out about my life is that I was a woman born in the wrong season. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, look at me. She said, if I'd been born in the 15th century, as big as I am, I would have been a goddess. But I'm born in a season when skinniness is in. We, we, we look at the world and we try to figure out what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 5, your lives are like salt among the people. If you're like salt, if you, if you like salt become bland, how can your saltiness be restored? Flavorless salt is good for nothing and will be thrown out and trampled on by others. Your lives light up the world. How can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And would you light a lamp and hide it under an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house benefits from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as light among them and they will give praise unto the Lord. What it simply means is this, is that God expects you and I to make a difference in the world. God expects your life to make a difference because your life matters. No matter what your lot or vocation may be, there is a purpose in us that most of us don't even understand. And yet sometimes I think we overthink it. Because we compare ourselves to other people and we have failed to appreciate how God works in the very simplest of ways in our life. And that's why this series is going to be preached. It's why myself and Tracy and Pastor Dustin are going to try to challenge you to understand that God wants your life to make a difference. So I pray two things. I pray that this series is a call to action for you. I pray that as you hear the word of God that you will not miss the point and that God will speak into your heart that the design of God is to put you in a place where you engage this world and you find your place in God's plan to bring people to Jesus. That's not a preacher's job. That's not an elder's job. That is a Christian's job. Disciples to bring people to Jesus. And I hope that this series makes you uncomfortable. I didn't know Tracy was going to say that, but I hope this makes you uncomfortable. 
I hope sometimes when you're sitting here listening to this, you're just wondering. I don't know if I can. I don't know. I want you to see in these six lives that have been chosen, people that you probably don't know by name, is that they are just like you. They're no different than you are. And they lack spiritual confidence at times to step into the water and make the difficult decision that they were going to do something with their life for the Lord. They ask the same questions that you ask. And you'll hear it in the narratives as you read the scripture. Who am I that God can use me? Am I too old that God can do anything in me? Why would God want me to be his representative? Is there somebody in my life, someone that God is asking me to reach with the message of Jesus Christ? So let's look at Abigail this morning. Every person has a story. Every person in this church has a story, a unique story that holds the key to knowing who we are. And the truth of the matter is, until you know our story, you won't know us. You may see us, you may recognize us, you may fellowship and worship with us, but you don't know us until you know our story. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we get confused about people because we think they are so different from us. And and sometimes we're not really comfortable sharing our story because we think it's not exciting, it's not notable, that people will not care to know us in that way. And maybe there are people that are that way. But here's the thing I need you to know. That your story is in fact valuable. The good parts and even the bad parts of your life. And not all of our stories are fairy tales. Some are dark and foreboding. If we took the time, there are stories in this congregation that are filled with pain and sorrow and suffering. In fact, it is common sometimes for you and I to leave out intentionally some of the chapters of our life. Because we don't want people to know that we were that stupid. And so the point of the matter is, is to recognize the value of the story. Now the Bible's full of stories about people. In fact, the common theme throughout the Word of God is that the Bible is a story about people. And if we mistakenly assume that somehow or another these people different from us we miss it Abigail is a woman just like every woman in this building she's a woman who manages her house she's a mother who is raising her kids she is a woman living in a married relationship just like you you might ask the question well why then did God put these stories in the Bible I'm glad you asked that question because in Romans 15 there is a powerful verse of scripture you should probably mark in your Bible and go back and read it more In Romans 15, verse 4, the Bible said, Whatever things were written in the earlier times were written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might find hope. So God put the story of Abigail in the Bible so that you would find encouragement and hope for your life. And that you would recognize how much confidence God has in you this morning. You hear me? How much confidence God has in you this morning. As you know, I coach pastors. And I coach lots of pastors. And I use this verse with every pastor. Romans 11, 29. Here's what it says. In the King James, it says that God, the gifts and calling of God are never without repentance. 
In the EVS it says God never changes his mind about the people he calls. He never decides to take back the blessings he gave them. So I'm reminding somebody in this room this morning that God has never changed his mind about what he always believed about you. You may have changed your mind. You may have lost your confidence. You may have lost your voice, but God never did. You may have thought that that mistake you made, that other thing that you did somehow disqualified you, but God said no. He has never changed His mind about what He always believed about you. The confidence that God has in you. And my prayer is that somehow God will use these moments to raise up a new confidence that says we can make a difference with our life for the glory and the honor of God. So let's get into Abigail's story. The Bible says the story of Abigail is the story of a woman married to an idiot. Turn to your friend and say Nabal. Tell him it means fool. Nabal was a rich herdsman who had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. They grazed in the fields where David and his men lived and worked. And as a professional courtesy, David and his men would provide protection to the workers and treat them with respect. And so in return, David expected when the time came that he and his men would be compensated for their time and effort. So David sends messengers to Nabal in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. And he says to him, listen, I hear it's sheep shearing time. I want you to know we've taken care of your guys Throw a little something toward us. And Nabal mocks David and accuses him of being a freeloader and refuses to compensate him. Look at verse 12. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard the equipment. They are going to teach Nabal a lesson. But one of the servants in Nabal's house finds Abigail and fills her in. Now remember that the, if you read it earlier, the scripture said she was a sensible person. Why she fell in love with a fool, I have no idea. But the servant said to her, you need to know what happened. The men of David came, they told us, they, they asked for compensation, they explained what they had done, and that, that what they told was the truth. These men treated us well, they took care of us, and, and your husband, he insulted them, and you better do something. Verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she did not tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. What you're seeing here is discernment. She is discerning that she needs to do something. And she acted quickly. She thought on her feet, as the saying is. She reacted quickly and swiftly to approach David and his men. And she did a couple of very important things that I don't want you to miss. First of all, she de-escalates the situation. Look at verse 23. She de-escalates the emotion of the moment. When Abigail saw David, 
She quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Then she goes on to say, I know Nabal is, Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay attention to him. He's a fool just as his name suggests. I never saw the young men that you sent. She quickly de-escalates the situation. But she does more than that. Look at 29. In verse 29 it says, "Even she's talking to David now. And she's giving him the reason why he should not do this. She puts in context the moment for David. Verse 29, even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling when the Lord has done all that he promised and he's made you leader over Israel. Don't let this be a blemish on your record that your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. She puts the moment in context. She said, David, take a moment and think about where you are. Think about what's about to take place. And just make sure that you don't make a decision that you will come to regret for the rest of your life. But she does a third thing. She forces David to think about the weight of this moment and his decision. Now listen to me. Every decision that you're making right now or will make in the future is going to become a story that you will one day tell. Whatever you're doing right now, right or wrong, is going to be a story that you're going to tell your grandchildren or your, your great-grandchildren or someone else. I was sitting with a man in our church some time ago. It's been several months ago. And we were talking about a situation that he was going through and the unjustness of what he was dealing with. And he was expressing his anger about what he wanted to do. And I said, you could do that. And a lot of people would actually believe you have that right. But can I say this to you? One of these days you're going to tell this story. And it just depends on what story you want to tell. See, David's got two stories. He could tell the story, oh yes, we went down there to Nabal, we slaughtered every one of them. We killed them, men, women, children, babies, all of them. We took them all out and we proved that we were bigger than they were. That's one story that he could have told. Abigail says, there's another story to tell. You belong to God. God's hand is on your life. And if you just take a moment and think about this, you're not going to want that on your conscience for the rest of your life. And in that moment, David recognizes the moment. She made him think about that moment. And he says to her, the hand of God brought you into my path, for surely I would have done this dastardly deed. Now she's a nobody from nowhere. You never hear about her until you come to 1 Samuel 25. She doesn't have any religious heritage. She doesn't come from great lineage. But she's a woman that God used in a singular moment to save her whole house. And you and I should thank God for people like Abigail, whether they're male or female, who come into our life and in the moment can speak the truth to us and help us to recognize the moment and the weight of the moment and where we are. 
So before we leave today, what do we learn from the life of Abigail? Well, we learn a couple things. Number one, we learn that ordinary people are powerful tools in the hand of a mighty God. As we go through these stories and you talk about Esther and you talk about Gideon and you talk about Onesiphorus and you talk about Josiah and you talk about the widow of Zarephath, what you see are ordinary people. These are not kings and priests. These are not great people with great names and great legacies. These are people who simply were ordinary people just like you and me. But they had an obedience to God in that moment. They had a willingness to step into the moment and allow God to work in their life. You see, you'll be tempted to say, I can't be used of God because I don't sing. I don't teach. I don't speak in front of people. I don't have anything to offer. But you would be wrong. Abigail doesn't have any of those, those traits, does she? She simply has an obedience and a courage that stepped in front of the most powerful man of her time and offered him an alternative narrative that preserved his integrity. There's something else to know about what this story teaches us, that God has, some, has put something inside of you that makes the difference for somebody else. There is something inside of you that God has strategically placed that is there for somebody else. And at the right moment, in the right time, if you are sensitive to what God is doing, God will use your ordinary life to make a difference for the Lord. Kenneth Blackwelder. Anybody know Kenneth Blackwelder? Oh, you're not going to know Kenneth Blackwelder. Kenneth Blackwelder pastored a little church in Wichita Falls, Kansas. A little small church there, a little rural community. The particular community, now Wichita Falls is a pretty good sized town, but Wichita Falls, Texas, not Kansas. Wichita Falls, Texas. Pretty good sized little town, but it did not have a large hospital. It had a little community. At the time that Kenneth pastored there, it was a little small hospital, a little rural kind of community thing. They didn't have a computerized system in the chaplain's office. They had a ledger. And the name of every patient that was admitted was placed in the ledger. And from the data that they had, they put whatever information they felt would be helpful to the pastors who were visiting in the hospital. So when you went into the hospital, if you expressed a particular religious preference, say you said, I'm Pentecostal, or I'm Church of God, or I'm Methodist, or whatever, they would write that by your name. It would be like, you know, Stella Lamas, Church of God. So when the Church of God pastor would go in, he would pick up that ledger, turn the pages, and look for the Church of God names. So Kenneth Blackwelder told us that he was going through that ledger one day, flipping the pages, looking to make sure that he saw the names of the Church of God people he wanted to visit. And he kept noticing name after name said, none, 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 N-O-N-E, none. B-A-P, Baptist, P-R-E-S, Presbyterian, none. C-A-T-H, Catholic, none. 
And he said, I don't know why I did it. I don't even know why I asked the question. But I turned to the little girl that was working there in the office and I said, can I ask you a question? The Baptist preacher visits Baptist people. Church of God vis pastor visits ba the Church of God folk. Who visits the nuns? And the woman said, well, I don't guess anybody visits. And he said, in a single moment, I felt the Lord say to me, you could visit one. And he said, I just looked down. The very next name I saw on the list, 51-year-old man in the intensive care unit, the critical care unit. And so he said, I got the information, and I went to the area, and I asked the nurse if I could visit the man. She said, well, you're certainly welcome to visit him, Pastor, but he's in a coma. He said, okay. She said, now listen. We don't know if people in coma can hear you. You're certainly, well, he said, I just want to pray. I won't be intrusive. I just want to pray. He said, so I went into that unit. He's got all these little wires on him. He said, I leaned over and whispered into his ear and called his name. And I said, listen, you won't know me. I pastor a church in this community. And I was led of the Lord to come and pray for you today. I understand you've been in an accident. And I want you to know that I'm praying. I'm going to have my church to pray. I'll leave my card with the nurse. I don't know if you even hear what I'm saying, but I'll leave my card with the nurse, and if you ever need me. The next morning, he's eating breakfast. The phone rings, and a nurse says to him, Mr. Reverend Blackwelder, did you visit Mr. So-and-so yesterday? And he said, I did. He said, listen, she said, he's come out of his coma, and he's calling for you. He said, I'll be right there. He said, I rushed over to the hospital and I went in. And when I went in, he said to me, he said, come in, pastor. He said, I need you to understand I heard every word that you said yesterday. He said, I've been a backslider ever since I became an adult. And I want you to pray with me that I'll give my heart to Jesus. Blackwelder prayed with that man that day. He accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The next time Blackwelder came into that hospital, the man was dead. And when I heard him share his testimony, he said, I walked out into that sunlight of that parking lot day. And I began to cry and I said to God, God, what if I had not been sensitive those days before when you drew my attention to the nuns? Is anybody listening to me this morning? You know, you, you think you've got to have a microphone in your hand. You think you've got to be on stage. There's got to be lights. No, you don't. You have to be obedient. You have to be a, a person who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what God is trying to do around you. And I know it may seem like it's not much, but it may be a cake that you bake and walk across the street and take to somebody and tell them, hey, I don't know if this means anything, but I just needed to come over here and tell you I care about you. It may be as simple as going to a restaurant and, and praying with a, a, a waitress or, or giving them a card, inviting them to come to your church. or Whatever it is, it's just saying, Lord, lead me today to somebody that needs you. Give me an opportunity today to brag about Jesus. Give me a moment that I can talk about who Jesus is. Because God has put something in you. I, I, I just defy the, the very fear and lack of confidence that permeates some of your hearts where you say, I can't do anything. I can't teach kids. I, no, you can do all things through Christ. You can do everything through Jesus Christ.
You've been afraid. You've allowed the enemy to put fear into your heart. You've allowed yourself to be dominated by a fear because the enemy doesn't want you to make a difference with your life. And God is calling you this morning. God's calling you this morning. And if you will just shut out the clutter, shut out the noise, shut out the distractions and allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart, you will find that God is talking to you this morning because He wants you to make a difference with your life. There's something else that this story teaches us, not about Abigail, but about David, but it's in the story. What makes you good makes you vulnerable. You tell me what you're good at, I'll tell you where your weaknesses lie. You tell me where you're great, I'll tell you where the devil's fighting you. Because what makes you great makes you vulnerable. What made David great? His passion. What made David great was his passion, his zeal. His zeal for God. But it was the very place where he was attacked. The very place where the devil wanted to do something that was going to trap David for the rest of his life. Where you are great, you are also vulnerable. That's why you have to be self-aware. You have to be aware of who you are and how you are and how you react. I mean, you know, I, I tell you there, I, I'm not proud of this and I'm not going to tell you too much because I'm still learning to trust some of you. I don't know whether you'd go on social media and tell my story yet. But I got some weaknesses and I've got some triggers. And sometimes those triggers will rise up in me and I will react quickly. That's why God gives you a wife. One of my triggers got loose the other night and she said, you need to stop. She said, you don't realize what you're doing. Stop. She's right. See, we all got stuff. We all got things. And so you have to recognize this is where I'm vulnerable. This is where the devil wants to trip me up. This is where he wants to stop the momentum of what God is doing. This is where he wants to stop the flow of the anointing at Lake Erie. He's going to look for your weaknesses. He's going to try to trip us up so that somehow along the way we will miss what God is trying to do. So let's finish. Come on, Jerome. Here, here's the finish. There's two things that Abigail says to David that I need you to hear and then we're going to pray. I don't want you to miss this. Because here's the two things that she said I think that are the most important. I want to show it to you so you can see it in your Bible. That way you can write it down. Verse 29. She said, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God. She told David, God's got you. God's got you in his care. And even when the devil chases you, God's got you protected. Even when you feel like you're under attack. Have you ever felt that way? I felt that way this week. I'm under attack. The enemy's trying his best to get at me. But the reminder of God's word is God's got you. You are protected by the mighty hand of God. 
You are protected by the power of God. You are protected by the hand of God that will not let the devil get you. Listen, when did we become afraid of the devil? We get, we, we get all messed up about the devil. What the devil says, what the devil's doing. Who cares what the devil's doing? Who cares what people who serve the devil are doing? We don't have to be afraid of the devil. We don't have to be afraid of anything the devil's trying to do. We are the children of the Most High God. And God has us. God has us. Leon, God got us this morning. I don't think I'm supposed to get this excited on Sunday morning, but I am. Here's the second thing that she said. 30, verse 31. Don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and violence. You know what she's telling him? There's more to your life than this moment. See, you can get in the heat of a moment and you can think that everything hangs in the balance on this moment and that's what the devil wants you to think but God is bringing you through a process. He's delivering you to a future that he has ordained for your life and the devil wants to stop that. He doesn't know what God's doing because he's not all-knowing. He's trying to figure out what God is doing and he's trying to trap you in a moment so you would miss the opportunity that God has placed in front of you. There's more to this moment than you think. But this isn't the last moment. And this isn't the only moment. And she says, David, don't make a mistake here that will stay with you the rest of your life. And some of you need to hear me say this this morning. We preach a lot of grace at Lake Erie. I'm a grace person. In fact, I told one of you the other day, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'm making a mistake on the side of grace. I'm making my mistakes on the side of grace because I'm a man who needed God's grace and I'm going to make my mistakes on that side. We preach a lot of grace, but do not mistake the grace of God that you can go out and do anything you want to and just expect God to wipe it clean. Will God forgive you? Absolutely. But sometimes you're going to bear the consequence of that decision for the rest of your life. You will pay an unnecessary consequence for the rest of your life. So live every moment like it matters. And choose to make a difference with your life because God expects that. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. God is for you, who can be against you? Stop being afraid. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, thank you. Thank you. God, somewhere in this room is a man and a woman who love you 
and they want to serve you and they want to give themselves, but they're afraid. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's something back there. Maybe there's something that tripped them up. The devil's intimidating them. I, I, I announce freedom over their life right now. I pray for a student that heard me preach this morning that wonders at 14, can I make a difference? I'm only a freshman in high school. I'm only a sophomore. What can God do in my life? Help them to see the power of their story and the power of the moments that God is creating. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, who's well advanced in years and thinks that their time is over. They, they've done their part. God awakens something in them, revitalize something in them, a passion and a zeal that they've not known in years. Drive them forward to the greatness that you've always believed was in them. And I pray the prayer of Isaiah. Pray, Lord, we pray that prayer. Here am I. Send me. I pray the prayer of Elisha over this church. That our eyes would be open to see that in spite of everything the devil has tried to do, we are covered by the God who is greater than any force in this world. I pray for men and women in this room that do not know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray the conviction of God has drawn them to a place where they are ready now to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just one moment. Thank you for doing this. If you're sitting here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you would like to have that relationship with Him. We're going to pray a very simple prayer. And it goes something like this, that I'm sorry that I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me. And when you pray that prayer in sincerity, and you say by your own words, your own words, I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe he died for me. And God will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will make you whole. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me. And as we pray it, if you need God to save you, just pray these words and mean them from your heart. Repeat after me, please. God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe you will forgive me of my sin. I choose Jesus. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you sincerely meant it, hold up your hand. I need to be saved today. Yes, God bless you. Is there another? I needed salvation today. I needed the Lord to forgive me. God bless you. 
Can we praise the Lord for this one today that has given their heart to the Lord? Come on. Rejoice. Rejoice. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.